if you want to be successful as an entrepreneur, success is non-optional. You must. You have to have that mindset. You have to be that resilient that no matter what comes, I'm going to win and I'm going to get ahead. Welcome to The Resilient Recruiter. This is your host, Mark Whitby. And in today's episode, I interview Justin Satterfield. Justin is the founder of Norwood Staffing Solutions, specializing in health information management. Justin's growth has been truly remarkable. And since starting just three years ago, he's already knocking on the door of a million dollars in net fee income. But the road has not been easy. In fact, what I enjoyed most about chatting with Justin is he's very honest about the low points, the hardships, and the setbacks he's experienced and how he's persevered to get to the point where he's winning major contracts with large healthcare organizations and building a team to help him meet that growing demand. I guess last time we were supposed to record, but then you ended up speaking at an industry event. Can you tell me about that? Industry event was great. So I actually spoke at a couple different conferences. So apologies for having to reschedule. But yeah, spoke at one event that was uh, about 80 people and, you know, very niche to our industry. So anyone in our industry has to get, you know, continued education. So, you know, they go to presentations, uh, you know, a number of times a year. And yeah, I was invited to talk at the Actus Texas chapter meeting. And I was about from about 80 people. And then on the spot was uh, asked to speak again at another conference in Dallas at DFW HEMA. And that was 280 people. So yeah, the most I'd ever talked in front of, but uh, no, it went great. And I actually have another speaking engagement next Friday. So yeah, speaking's going well. It's something I haven't really don't have a lot of experience with, but you know, I found that when you know something, it's uh, it's pretty easy to be comfortable with it. You know, being in a room with a, a bunch of professionals, it's like, all right, well, if we want to talk specifically about the nitty gritty of the revenue cycle in healthcare, I'm not the expert here. But if we want to talk about staffing, if we want to talk about career development, if we want to talk about perspective. Yeah, I am the expert. Like, let's talk about it. That is awesome. So cool. It's funny because I've been speaking for 20 years. I've never spoken to an audience of 280 people, at least not live in person. I have on a webinar, I had a thousand people, but that must have been quite a uh, an experience. Definitely. How did you get the first speaking invitation? Uh, the first speaking invitation was uh, by really my seeking it out, uh, speaking something that I do want to get into. I think speaking is just really powerful. I mean, it gives you the authority and platform it gives you for for what? Uh, you know, you don't have to get a certification. You don't have to pay for an education. You just have to be willing to put together a presentation and get up on stage and speak to what you already know. And the feedback has been absolutely incredible. Yeah, the first one was I went to a small conference and they were just kind of getting started up. And I was, you know, approached the guy that was putting it on and was like, you know, hey, I, I could speak on these topics, you know, this, this and this. If you guys need a speaker, uh, please let me know. So he got me into the next conference and then, yeah, that was that. So uh, now I'm going to have three uh, under my belt. So got to keep going with it. I mean, just from these two that I did, I mean, absolutely worthwhile. Do you know what's amazing about that is, as you say, the platform, the authority, you know, there's probably other recruiters attending these events, but, you know, think of the difference in, in your positioning being the speaker you know, and you get exposure to all the people who are attending that event versus you're one of the recruiters in the back of the room handing out business cards. It's a totally different thing. Oh, right? absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you are kind of looked at as the 
authority on the subject matter. And uh, public speaking is like public enemy number one. You know, people don't like to speak in public or fearful of it. From everything that I've read, the two biggest takeaways, I think, when you're approaching public speaking is one, most importantly, you know, everyone gets a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear when you're uh, about to speak, you know, that, that kind of sets in, well, what's happening there? Your, your adrenaline's kicking in. Okay. And so, and then everyone has the approach of, all right, I need to calm myself down, calm down. You're, you're fine. Well, you're trying to literally change the chemical makeup of what's happening in your body. Like, good luck. <laughs> um, so the, the, the artist to actually, uh, take that adrenaline and use it to your advantage to convert that to excitement, to convert that to some positive energy. And then, and then also know that everyone in the room wants you to do well. You know, everyone's showed up to this presentation. No one's hoping that you do a bad job or sitting there judging every word that you say. They're hoping to take something away from this. If they even take one thing away from this, they're like, okay, that was good. That was worth my time. So everyone wants you to do well. And yeah, change your perspective. Amazing. Absolutely. Great way to, to look at it. What did you speak about? I basically did a two-part presentation. So the first one, I went over career development. So I started with uh, resume optimization, uh, LinkedIn best practices, went through and showed them what parts to and how to build a LinkedIn, why you need to have a, a full profile as far as optimization for search results, uh, inform them about how you know LinkedIn Recruiter works and how we're getting these results, how we find people. So gave them a lot of tips on that and then went into education, value add, you know, what you should really be seeking out, uh, went into networking, and then went into leadership. One, how to get into leadership, and two, how to be a good leader once you are in leadership, because there's way too many bad ones. That, and then I did a second part of the series. Uh, so my industry is in uh, middle revenue cycle for healthcare. So I work with large health systems nationally uh, here in the US for the middle revenue cycle. So the second part that I did is we all get siloed into what we do as a profession. And uh, so I really zoomed it out big picture wise. I like the big picture. And uh, so I zoomed out big picture wise. Like if you want to understand where this industry is going, you need to understand where healthcare is going. And so started out with, you know, here's the new entrance in healthcare. We have 84% of fortune fifties getting into healthcare. We've, you know, more than tripled down on the investments from private equity and venture capitalists, well as AI and blockchain technology and, and all these, you know, uh, new entrants. And then kind of narrowed that down into things that are evolving in healthcare from inpatient to outpatient stays, the growth of ambulatory surgery centers and things of that nature. And then narrowed that down even further into how this specifically impacts this specific industry and where I think we're going to see job growth in some different sectors that are kind of taking off, but not really there yet. So yeah, I just kind of did an overview more industry specific and then gave them some homework to go optimize their their resumes, get their LinkedIn up and going, and then uh, even gave them a writing prompt. (laughs) Um, So gave them a little homework, but going to these presentations, especially any kind of industry specific event that you go to that is not recruiting specific, but to your industry that you work in, in most presentations that here are going to be based on that industry. So this really is a huge value add for people that they, and stuff they don't typically hear. Even people, I don't care how long you've been in your career. I mean, there's a lot of stuff about staffing you just don't know. And, you know, we get a very different perspective on this side of things. I love it. I love it. And what's great in terms of building momentum, Justin, is 
getting your first few speaking invitations is the hard part, right? And you've got that now. So you can then go to other groups and say, I've already spoken here, yep. I've spoken here, I've spoke to this group. They then have confidence that you are going to do a good job. You can even give them testimonials from the previous event hosts and organizers and stuff. You know, it's a no-brainer for them. They're like, oh, well, this guy's proven, so we'll just get Justin Satterfield. Absolutely. I'm actually, uh, I'll tell you the biggest positive feedback I've already received is I'm getting a contract in place just because of my presentation that you know, wow. someone uh, was there in, in the odds, like, we need to work with this guy. Within a week, got a request for a contract. Any other business wins from this? Not immediate wins, but your reputation's everything. Way more so about building a brand and a reputation. And my goal in any kind of marketing, speaking, my presence on LinkedIn is to build that rapport up front. A cold call is not a cold call if they already know who you are. You know, if they've already been the first time I've called you, you've already been reading my articles uh, and what I've posted for months or years, or you heard me speak in an event. And now it's not a cold call. It's a warm call. Well said. So tell me about this this contract. They just call, contacted you out of the blue and said, hey, we saw your presentation. We want to work with you. I've been pursuing this contract for like five years. Uh, I've done <laughs> this for a long time. It's a big contract. And uh, yeah, so we'd actually talked a little bit before our presentation. And I didn't get a chance to speak with her after. But you know, feedback from a, a close friend that works there was that she told her that that was one of the best presentations I've seen. And she goes, and I don't mean of the day. I mean, out of all the presentations I've seen, that was one of the best. She goes, we need to be working with this guy. Great. So yeah, contacted by HR and getting it in place. So and that's a big count. I'll come back to HR and talent acquisition because one of my topics I wanted to ask you about is getting along with talent acquisition. But the actual, the main reason that I invited you to be on the Resilient Recruiter, well, one, of course, is I think your attitude and your mindset and your philosophy is really powerful. And I wanted to share that with people. But in particular, it was just the astonishing growth trajectory of Norwood Staffing. Could you talk about the development of your company a little bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, anyone out there that wants to uh, start a company, I can tell you firsthand, it's not for the faint of heart. It is a ton of work and uh, it's very difficult, but it's also extremely rewarding having that resilience to push through and, and get it done. I started out, I was 26 years old and had to wait out and not compete for a year. And then after that, I was on my own for a year and then started building my team. Really didn't do that well revenue-wise. Obviously, my first year was non-existent. I was living on little savings and credit cards. And then Second year, I had a couple of really big projects that fell through that I spent all my time recruiting on. And that's the difficult part about starting is you're running a full desk. And once you do get a big client, you're spending all of your time recruiting. We both know that both sales and recruiting are more than a full-time job individually. So to it's just very hard to to grow when you're on your own. So getting that first person on board is is pivotal. This will be my first full year of actually having a team really brought a couple of solid people on. They both actually have more experience than me in the industry. So kind of built a small team of rock stars. And uh, yeah, we will, we're knocking on the door of a million dollars in revenue this year. So what inspired you to start your own business as opposed to just be a top performer for someone else? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, we'll share that story. I don't typically share the story often until people uh, know me, but I mean, numbers speak for themselves, like I'm doing well. 
yeah, I started out in staffing right out of school. I grew up in a small town, Arkansas, and graduated from school, moved to Houston, Texas, fourth largest city in the nation uh, without a job. And I wanted to get into a startup company. My degree was in entrepreneurship. Uh, that was where my passion already lied. So the startup I got in happened to be a staffing company. So got into staffing immediately, got into recruiting, knew recruiting wasn't for me, wanted to get into sales. And like anyone else, you know, that gets into staffing, oh, I'm going to do this until I figure out what I really want to do, right? <laughs> until you get good at it. <laughs> and so, yeah, I went to a one of the largest companies in the nation and was a salesperson for them, you know, really stepped into this uh, healthcare revenue cycle space. And I did really well. I can attribute a lot of that just to, to hard work. You know, out of uh, 600 plus producers, if you looked at, you know, who was making the most sales phone calls, like I was one or two always. And within less than two years, I was 22nd in the company out of over 600 plus producers across all industries. Uh, within healthcare, I was third, probably 100, 150 people. And the only two people ahead of me were combined 13 years my senior. Grew very quickly. Basically felt untouchable at that point because in staffing, you know, your uh, your high producers are you got those golden handcuffs, right? I mean, I'm 25 years old and probably looking at clearing 200k with a two million dollar book of business. And yeah, I was taken into a room one day and and fired out of nowhere. I mean, not one meeting about how anything I was doing needed to change. Was the fast growing person in the company, and uh, yeah, taken to a room room one day and told that we're taking the business in a different direction. I said, uh, I understand business very well and I respect business. If you can explain to me in, in one way that this is a business decision, I'll shake your hand and walk out of here. Of course, there wasn't much substance there. That is crazy. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I was completely blindsided. I'm sitting here pulling in checks for you know, 5,000, 6,000 like every single week and just doing really well and then completely cut off. So long story short there, our team was behind budget overall. So, the uh, person in charge that got her bonuses based off team performance, not individual performance. So putting my book of business to the bottom line, she definitely made six figures in bonuses. And then my manager who I was outperforming started to take over my book of business. So first law of power, don't outshine your master. But I'm never a big fan of that one. So in other words, you had a book of business you built up. Yep. And they just didn't want to pay your commissions anymore. Oh, yeah. I mean, they owed me over 30,000 just in past due perm deals. Wow. Okay. Offered me a 3K severance to sign some papers. And I was like, yeah, go kick rocks. So Justin, in view of how horrendously you were treated, why did you honor the 12-month restrictive covenant? It's a great question. So I sought mentorship from fellow entrepreneurs uh, as well as legal counsel as well. And they're like, you'll win this, but they can bury you. And legal fees, right? Just because they okay. can, and being high up in the company, if they want to make an example out of you, so no one else does it, they will. They're like, it's going to be 10k to get the conversation started, and I didn't have money. To the advice of lawyers as well as entrepreneurs, they're like, can you hold out? I'm like, yeah, I can. They're like, then don't mess with it. It's not worth it. Okay, interesting. So that must have been really tough, Justin. I'm I'm trying to picture this. Like, you know what you want to do. You're already good at it. You have a blessing in disguise. I mean, it must have been painful at the time, but but looking back now, you're way better off than you were. And that was my mindset really within 48 hours. Obviously, it was a very emotional experience from the very beginning. I mean, completely getting blindsided like that was brutal. 
emotionally brutal. But within 48 hours, I knew that this is either the worst thing that ever happened to me or the best. And that was on me. That was 100% on me. That's my choice. So I decided to make the best of it. I said, I worked my ass off for that book of business. If I'm going to stay in this industry, I'm going to do it for me. I'm not going to do that for someone else again. I was like, I either do this on my own or I'm leaving the industry. Justin, you and I first kind of bonded over this idea of stoicism, right? And you said something to me about resilience in our very first conversation. Do you recall that? Yeah, absolutely. Can you speak a bit on resilience and what it means to you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Actually, quote Seneca, one of my uh, favorites from him, he says, I judge you unfortunate because you have not lived through misfortune. You have passed through life without an opponent. No one can ever know what you're capable of, not even you. Yeah, you know, as far as the Stoic philosophy, and we could talk about Stoic philosophy for a solid hour, evolving from, you know, simply uh, the logos or logic and physics to more principle and living a virtuous life. But, you know, one of the biggest lessons of Stoicism is perception. Our perception determines our reality. We get to decide how we view the circumstances uh, around us that we don't control, and especially in staffing. I mean, how many variables do we not control? That's the hardest part about this business. You know, we're selling people to people. I mean, it doesn't get more complex than that uh, as far as things outside of your control. Most people spend so much time worrying about things they don't control. And the view of that is that that is, quite frankly, irrational, but a waste of time where the Stoic philosophy is more geared towards, I would rather spend time creatively solving problems than thinking about the problems themselves and dwelling on that. So resilience is, uh, yeah, if you haven't had struggles, then as Seneca says, like I find that unfortunate because you won't know how tall you can stand. It's your perception of trials and tribulations that defines you. Awesome. The reason I named this show The Resilient Recruiter is because I I really, really believe in that. And you mentioned Seneca. Epictetus is another Stoic philosopher. And he's, I believe, the originator of this idea of focusing on what you can control. I've got a quote of his in front of me. The chief task in life is simply this, to identify and separate matters so that I can say clearly to myself, which are externals not under my control? and which have to do with the choices I actually control. And where then do I look for good and evil? Not to the uncontrollable externals, but within myself to the choices that are my own. I like that one. Absolutely. Great quote. So Justin, so you went through this crazy roller coaster, getting fired out of nowhere. You decide, okay, I'm going to turn this to my advantage. I'm going to start my own business. But you had to wait for 12 months before you could pull the trigger on that. Talk me through your first 12 months of really building this back up. It was actually an incredible experience. And the reason I say that is, one, I'm already living a lifestyle that, I mean, I'm making a lot of money as a 25-year-old, already living a pretty uh, good lifestyle. A hard reset on that was incredibly valuable. I mean, I went from, I could buy anything I want, do anything I want to, I'm eating on $50 a week, $40 in groceries, $10 to eat out. So, you know, completely stopped going out. The most valuable thing that happened to me, and this is something I never knew I needed. I've always been around people a lot, college, work and work. You know, I'm in a bullpen with a hundred people. You're, you're constantly around people. And then out of nowhere for the first time in my life, really, I spent an incredible amount of time alone. 
just an immense amount of time and how rewarding that was and fulfilling that was is really hard to even uh, describe. I mean, I spent a lot of time on me, you know, a lot of time studying philosophy, studying discipline, studying everything I get my hands on. I was just taking in a ton of information, spending a lot of time on me because my concept was if I'm going to lead a company, I need to be the best version of me as I possibly can be. And that means knowing me very well. The greatest gift that we can give to the world is to become our highest self because then you're able to provide for others. And so I spent a lot of time on me and then also spent a lot of time on, uh, you know, starting to build a company, you know, built a website on Squarespace for $12 a month just to have a presence, you know, got everything on my LinkedIn ready to go. So it was, you know, the day that non-compete was over, everything was out, up, going. There's a lot of little things that you don't even think about. I mean, branding, that takes a lot of time. Business cards, that takes a lot of time, you know, and to have the time to think through all that stuff versus trying to get it out the door as quick as possible, really built a, a solid foundation in, in what I wanted to uh, build up on. So the 12 months, it's easy to go, man, that must have really sucked. But looking back, it was quite valuable. You must have been so hungry to get started, though, by the time. Oh, hungry know, for sure. The non-compete was over. So it sounds like you got traction pretty quickly. What were some of the key things that you think you did well? And what were some of the mistakes looking back that maybe slowed down? You know, in spite of how fast you've developed, you know, I'm sure looking back, you can you can identify things that would have actually been better had you done something different. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, as far as things that went well was really just building off the relationships I already had. You know, it's, uh, you know, no matter who you work for uh, in this industry, your own individual reputation is absolutely everything. One thing that's pretty awesome in today's society is people love to support an entrepreneur. People love the story. You know, it's uh, something that people can attach themselves to and respect. So dove in, I got a couple big clients kind of right off the bat, really. But so that kind of kept me afloat. But as far as what I did poorly was managing my time in the sense that I got a couple big projects in. I spent all my time recruiting there, which you'd have to do. But I mean, you've got to understand the variables and staffing, like things fall through and I had both of them fall through. And, you know, yeah. that's why I spent all my time and, and especially in healthcare. I mean, it takes months, sometimes years to get these contracts in place. I mean, if I'm working with a large health system, I'm from the day you asked me for my contract, I'm expecting the process to take at least two to three months at a minimum. Because I had to hit on those projects and then not really have anything else going because I wasn't selling. I was just full on recruiting. Like That was pretty brutal. That was definitely a, a low point that I had to push through. So that's the hardest part, right? Is managing your time, using your time effectively and what I really practice is, is actually deselection. There's so much to do always. I mean, I could press pause right now on the world and work for a year straight and still be like, there's still plenty left to do here. <laughs> you know, right, and, uh, right. there, there's so much to do. So it's, it's what are you not going to focus on? You know, mm. really narrowing down your focus and your, your goals being very pointed because there's a lot of ways to waste time. Not necessarily waste time, but not the best use of your time. And you got to value it on a daily basis. That is gold right there. Deselection. 
actually making a conscious decision of what you're not going to spend your time on, not because it has no value, but just it's it's not high value enough. What are some of those things for you that you've decided, okay, I'm going to really concentrate on this and I'm going to avoid doing that? One thing is, you know, spending time on branding, which is super important, but you know, that's got to be on my weekend. I can't, I can't spend time on that during the week. And so it's, you know, deselecting, I'm not going to do that during my work day or all kinds of little projects and little side things that I want to do for the business, whether it's adding on new technologies to a stack or, you know, optimizing the website or, you know, so many things. It's like, okay, you can do those things, but not during your work day. Those are for after hours. Those are for the weekend. That's for night. And, you know, as well as putting a, a value on your time. You know, it's easy to know a lot of people in the industry and uh, spend an hour on the phone with them. But do you have an hour to spend? Because you have a lot to do. So it's uh, managing your time and and putting hard stops on who you're spending time with, how much time you're spending with them, and really placing that that high value on your time and knowing how you want to spend it. Brilliant. Just turning back to the situation you had spoken about a moment ago, you went flat out recruiting for two big contracts. They fell through. Looking back on that, what would you have done differently to manage that situation? Yeah. I mean, just uh, stuck to sales as far as manage my time better. You know, at, at that point in time, my, my cost of doing business was so low and it was like, man, if, even if I knocked down a couple of these deals, you know, then uh, I'm I'm good. But when they all both completely fell through, that was just something as a staffing professional I should have been prepared for, and I wasn't. It, it it would have been allocating, you know, at least two to three hours, you know, maybe first thing in the morning or whenever, but maintain those time blocks for sales, no matter how much I was recruiting. Yeah, fair enough. One of the things that I work with recruiters on is putting systems in place that generate inbound leads as well. So that if you do find that you're going flat out to deliver on a particular requirement, then you still have some appointments flowing into your calendar so that you're not dropping it altogether. So year one, you had your ups and downs, but you were loving it. It sounds like. (laughs) I don't know if I was loving it every day. (laughs) (laughs) I was broke, <laughs> real broke. So yeah, no, I mean, it, there's no way to uh, describe it as far as, yeah, it was very difficult, very hard, but I was very confident in that I knew I could do it. So if you don't have that underlying, just full on confidence, knowing that you can get this done, then I would advise against starting a company. <laughs> um, Let me speak to you about that, Justin, because I often meet recruitment business owners and they are in a tough, as you know, this this business has ebbs and flows and they're in the valley, let's say, and they're broke and it's tough. And they're questioning like, how long is this going to take? Or am I going to be able to get back on top to where, where I used to be? So what I'd like to ask you about is your mindset. Like in that first year, when it you were broke, when it was really tough, what was it that kept you going and allowed you to stay focused and stay confident? For me, it's that if you want to be successful as an entrepreneur, success is non-optional. You must. You have to have that mindset. 
you have to be that resilient that no matter what comes, I'm going to win and I'm going to get ahead. Yes, patience is incredibly hard to overcome. Uh, it's a beast. That's a beast in itself every single day. But it's going back to stoicism and controlling what you can control. Like, you know, I can sit here and go, woe is me. I don't have another check coming in for three months. And, you know, this is going to be really tough. Or I can spend my time and my mental on what can I do today that could bring in more money, you know, potentially tomorrow or following up that check that you're getting in, in three months. It's it's maintaining that discipline that you need to just keep pushing forward every day. You know, I think that a lot of people, uh, one thing I live by as well is called the do something principle. I'm not even sure where I picked it up actually, but people look for motivation. People look for motivation on a daily basis. And that is a backwards way to look at motivation. You take action. No matter how you feel, you take action. Not when you feel like it. No, every single day you act. You take action. Action leads to results. And results gives you motivation. You don't seek motivation to take action to get results. Now, the motivation is a byproduct. If you want motivation, close some deals. That's the motivating <laughs> right. thing in the world. <laughs> Get a few checks in for twenty grand. You want to talk about motivation? Whew, I'm fired up. Let's go. Right. Um, but it's uh, no. It's you know just extreme discipline and yeah, maintain that confidence and knowing that you know especially starting up, just to keep your overhead low and know that just land a few and you're fine for now. It's definitely a lot on the mental, you know, to uh, see debt stacking up and to um, know what you have to do. It's it's a lot. So I'll take on. Thanks for that insight, Justin. I value that. What was the turning point? Was it getting to the point where you could bring on a team member or and then you could concentrate on selling? Yeah, no, absolutely. Building a team is just absolutely essential. Was fortunate enough to uh, bring on a recruiter that I, I worked with in the past that's an absolute rock star and brought on uh, another salesperson that she's absolutely phenomenal and knew her through uh, a close industry friend and you know, these were both top producers at large companies as well. So bringing them on was just absolutely crucial to let me focus on, on what I do and have them working as well. I mean, to, I mean, even to bring on one recruiter and, you know, for me to bring in jobs and I only have to recruit on those, like that's game changing, absolutely game changing. So to get there is huge. And quite frankly, even bringing both those two on, looking at it from a straight business standpoint, financially, it would have been easy to go, uh, not yet. I'm not ready to pull the trigger yet. In both situations, I was even a little bit forced into it in that my recruiter, they had a layoff at, at her company and you know she needed a job and I wasn't going to lose her. I knew the value there. And then uh, you know my uh, salesperson that I brought on, she basically called me up and was like, I'm leaving. We, you know, I'd been talking to her already about the potential but it was a, I'm done here. And I already have another offer on the table. And I'm like, same situation. I'm like, I'm not going to lose this person. I'm going to make it work. Brought them both on. And yeah, you know, my philosophy is timing is never going to be the most awesome thing. And if you want to grow quickly, you got to take some risk. It's about the people that you bring on, not the timing. Like if you get the opportunity to bring on someone that's talented, do it and do what you need to do, make it work. It's interesting because, ironically, a lot of the owners I speak to, they tell me their number one challenge in terms of growing is 
they can't find good people. And I see this, like so many staffing and recruiting firms have like a revolving door where they hire five and lose four, you know, then they hire two more and then they lose three. And then, so like, it sounds like your approach was, I'm going to hire people who I know either personally or I know indirectly are going to be producers. Was that a conscious decision that I need to have absolute confidence that my first few hires are people I can rely on. Absolutely. Especially first few hires. I mean, I don't have time to train. Training is a beast. There's too much to learn and don't have that kind of time. But two, you know, I think even backing up big picture wise of what's going on in staffing, right? So yeah, you know, you look at these big companies and they do have a ton of turnover. I mean, it's insane. You know, literally at my company, you know, I said I worked in a bullpen of a hundred people. I wouldn't even introduce myself to someone that was new until they'd been there for six months. Like, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not even going to like, literally not even going to like, I don't care what your name is because most likely you're not going to be here in six months. So, you know, and you get that revolving door and What's interesting, it was even 10 years ago, it was hard to compete with these large companies because of how large their database was. But all that's changing so dramatically. And uh, mm-hmm. there's awesome technology that's out there for staffing companies that don't even make sense for big companies. But also, we're so connected now as far as LinkedIn and social. And there's so many more ways to, to reach people that the value of that large database that, quite frankly, is very cluttered and disorganized and all these mass uploads and it's kind of hard to navigate that's become devalued so much from what it was. And, you know, I think there is that staffing is is changing big time in that you don't need a large team to be really successful. You need a good team. I mean, if you have 10 people that are solid and you can make their time the most efficient through technology, what can you not do with solid 10 people? I mean, even these big companies that have teams of 12, 15 for one industry, yeah, well, three or four of those are producers. The rest of them are just numbers for private equity to go, this company is this big, you know, let's look at buying them. And, you know, that, and that's one of the, the big things about me starting this company as well is even specifically my industry, but industry wide, as far as staffing is concerned, is most companies do get bought out by private equity or by publicly owned companies. And and what's happening there is if you're going to pay my company, this is one thing that I I tell people, you know, potential clients, like if you're going to pay me the same rate that you're going to pay company A over here, that's owned by private equity, let's break down where your money's actually going. If you're working with me, that money's going to my recruiter, it's going to my salesperson, it's going to my operations, and it's going to that contractor. That's it. If you're working with a big company, going to the recruiter, the salesperson, operations, that contractor, the branch manager, the regional, the president of that specific industry, the executive suite, and you know private equity is getting theirs. So the fact of the matter is, small companies can win because we have less overhead and I can pay people more, period. I can pay contractors more money. I can literally get you better people because I don't have to hit the margins that these big companies have to hit. And, you know, as far as all that turnover too, it's like your reputation, your brand is everything. And when someone's heard from 10 different salespeople at a company within two years, they're like, who are these people? (laughs) Your brand is shit. Like they're just riding you off where when you start a company, you get to build your own brand. I even tell my team this. I'm like, you know, if you're feeling down, you're not 100. I don't want you on the phone because every phone call you make is our brand. It's our reputation and building a strong brand is, is crucial. 
And I think a lot of these big companies lose that quickly because you have a lot, you know, it's not people first, it's private equity and money first. And you do have that high turnover and you do have toxic environments that are created and internal competition they create to compete against each other. I mean, it's all about hitting those numbers and they get forced into not caring if this contractor, this client is taken care of, if it means hitting their numbers and still being okay in their job internally. You know, I think these large companies, one of the hardest parts about your job is just managing internal conflicts and internal issues. Uh, It's like, man, what if you could just have a team of outstanding people that we have no internal issues? Like, you know, we work together fantastic. We get to focus completely on our clients and our candidates. And that's incredible. I mean, to not spend any time in internal meetings and internal stuff that doesn't mean anything. And, you know, even even look at these companies, you know, that that you are paying a a bill that's paying out private equity and executive suite and downtown office space and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, even the big companies, that recruiter and that salesperson are the only people doing anything for you. You know, that president's not doing anything for you. That executive suite's not doing anything for you. You're, You're still running the business. Creating a small team of rock stars is, and I do want to get to a point where I can train people, but that's going to require me having the time to do so. But maintaining having a solid team, and if you have five solid people, I have two. When you know we're three people, but we're all high producers and we're crushing it. Justin, we're going to have to like say to be continued. I'd like <laughs> to talk to you about because you've got a virtual team, right? You guys all work. Yes. Remotely. Yep. So that, and that's the whole conversation itself on how you structure that so that you still feel like a team and people don't feel isolated and, you know, you're able to, to uh, support each other. So we'll need to talk about that next time. Just briefly, what does the future hold then for Norwood Staffing Solutions? Oh, man. Things are, uh, things are looking really, really good. Even said I was knocking on the door of, of seven figures. The large majority of that has literally been the past four months. We are just rocking and rolling. We have a lot of big stuff coming up, you know, and I'm not looking to have a, a small company. Like I'm, I'm trying to grow this thing. So, you know, I'm doing a lot of stuff on the back end. Uh, just rolled out a new website. I graduated from the $12 a month uh, Squarespace website to a real website where you can actually apply to my jobs. So that was a big win. Continuing to grow. I mean, I need to hire at least like two people pretty immediately. So, but I want to hire the right people. So, I would rather struggle trying to maintain what I'm doing versus hire the wrong people. So hiring the right people, continuing to really focus on my branding and content. Um, I'm going to spend a lot of time next year writing a lot more content, putting a lot more content out. Things are, are, are looking pretty good. So I'm excited. All right. Awesome, Justin. So listen, on the off chance that someone's listening who says, do you know what? That is the kind of guy I want to work for. Or there's a speaking opportunity. What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. My uh, personal email is justin at norwoodstaffing.com. You can easily go to norwoodstaffing.com and get our contact information on there as well. And yeah, there's plenty of ways to contact me. So also on LinkedIn, probably uh, pretty easy to find there as well. So I'm easy to get a hold of. So yeah, shoot me a message if you if you want to chat. Yeah, always open to conversation if time allows. If time allows, exactly. <laughs> Listen, I've loved talking today. Thank you so much for making the time for this. I know how crazy busy you are. Likewise, Mark. 
Thank you once again for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please consider subscribing using your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to find out more about my coaching services, specifically how I can help you escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings, then you are very welcome to apply for a free strategy session at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Thank you once again for listening and see you next time.